Maybe I'll just hit the button. We can just jump right into this conversation. How about it? How about it? Well, hello. Zach and Andy here. We're, uh, we're back at the Bold Patriot. It's a beautiful day out. It's May 17th. It's tax day. I know we all got right. our taxes in. I already did my taxes, but yes. Yeah. Finished mine yesterday. And yeah, it's a gorgeous day out. And that's all I have to say about the weather. <clears throat> what? <clears throat> You're not wrong. Andy was cold in his hammock today. I was a little bit chewy in the hammock, but... That's um, his weather update. And also, I'm still fighting whatever I've got going on with my throat, allergies, whatever. Here's what happened. I went to dinner and drinks with my friend Sam, and she said something really funny, and I laughed myself into a, like, sore throat. Must have been one hell of a joke. It, I don't... I think I remember what the context was, and in retrospect, it seems silly, but it was really funny at the time, and I was laughing hysterically, and then I couldn't talk for the next four days. So, if I'm clearing my throat on this podcast, it's because I still have gunk in my lungs or whatever. Mm. Allergies are really, they are really kicking my ass right now. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anyway. Yeah. How was your well, weekend? Uh, my weekend was great. It was really great. Uh, one of the highlights being... We hopped on a Zoom call last night. Oh, I thought you were going to say yard work. Yard work is the epitome of your Saturday, as it is mine. I'm working, <laughs> I'm working backwards. I'm working backwards. Sunday night, uh, for those of you who don't know, I host an approximately once-a-month coaches roundtable Zoom call with anybody who's in the industry and who's, who's curious to chat. Um, so that was fun. Andy posed some interesting career questions that we got to nerd out on a little bit. So all that to say, if you are a coach or a trainer yourself, uh, shoot one of us a DM if you want to be involved in the next call. It's kind of just a fun roundtable discussion type thing. And Saturday, yeah, we had a great workout. Out on the lawn, it's hot. Out on the lawn, yeah. Reminded me of old times. We got a little vitamin D. You were taking your shirt off. I was not. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I thought I thought we were gonna thought we were gonna have like a a skins party. Well, remember my fat loss uh, goal has not been going swimmingly, so I don't feel comfortable with my shirt off yet. Well, I am not here to tell you how you should feel. Also, my right arm is tiny, and that makes me kind of self-conscious. So sure, you you feel you have every right to feel however you want to feel. The only thing that I want to communicate to you is, as your friend and colleague, you know, the last thing that I would ever do is judge your appearance or physique. Okay, thank you for what it's worth. I know, but you are the only one at gym five. <laughs> <laughs> For what else it's worth, uh, I don't think anybody else in and around that gym is going to be judging you either. No. But. Lastly, and most superficially. Okay. 12-year-old bicep or not. <laughs> you're still pretty jacked. Thank you. Okay? I, I like to, I've been known to lift a weight or two. Yeah, and I am perpetually looking like I am four weeks from starting a diet. So, I'm not one to talk. I see that, but here's the thing. I thought, like, I've thought about this. You were like at a leanness where if you wanted to be like cut, it wouldn't take you that long. Like it would be like a six week. 
you could be like shredded for the pool if you wanted to be. That's where I'm not even close. I'm like 12 weeks from being shredded at the pool. Hence the self-consciousness. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think if you... I think if you went on an aggressive caloric deficit for five days, I think I think you would. Uh, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be I'd be too like deflated. <laughs> Maybe. All of my mass is in my ass and my thighs right now, and a little bit in my belly. Upper body is falling way behind. Actually, it's not. You know, here's the funny thing, and you and I talked about this on Saturday. My strength numbers haven't really diminished. I was throwing the 75, one arm dumbbell bench, 75, three by 15 today. Wow. I mean, that thing was flying. I mean, there might've been some grunting in there too, but it was flying. Um, well, I have- the Squats didn't fly, but. Here's, here's a question for you. Since you mentioned grunting, and I actually was talking about this with a client earlier today. What are your thoughts on grunting, yelling, um, yelling out your reps, whatever, in, in, in the gym. Yelling out something in particular, like your reps, or I don't know, like, lemon meringue pie, or whatever, I don't know, just some random ass shit. I don't know about that specifically, but I, I grunt at the gym, like, who gives a shit? Especially, like, if I'm squatting heavy and I'm wearing my headphones and I'm in the gym by myself, like, I don't care. And there has been literature to support that um, in, like, pain studies, if you are allowed to say, this is an explicit podcast, fuck or shit or damn or whatever, to express that, like, say that, your pain tolerance is higher. I tend to think that grunting and making noise in the gym is very much in the same vein, is that it allows you to sort of, like, endure a higher pain tolerance. So... You know, Planet Fitness gets all mad about people making noise at the gym, and I don't really understand, but, um, and they set off that lunk alarm if you drop your weights or if you make some noise. But at the same time, like, if you're pushing through a hard set and you want to grunt, who gives a shit? Let it fly. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I, I understand why loud noises, grunting, yelling is intimidating for a lot of people, for sure. <laughs> May I remind you that when you're in the gym, it's not a library. I'm, I'm surprised you're taking this this hard stance, Andy. I thought I, you would be more no, compassionate and empathetic. It's not with, a library. With people who are maybe a little nervous being in the gym. Well, plenty of people are nervous being in the gym, and that's fine. And actually, that's one thing that I try to do is cultivate sort of a welcoming experience in the gym. Now, grunting aside, you know, I don't know if that scares people or, or puts people off. But, again, it's not a library. So, right. like, if you're going to make... Same thing. I got I got in trouble. I say I got in trouble. I worked at a gym on this side of town for a number of years. And one day I was in this gym and I was doing barbell cleans. And on, like, the last rep of the clean, I dropped the bar and let it hit the ground because the, we had bumper plates. And that's what you do. With cleans, you drop the bar. Right. Now, there was a woman who apparently was very offended by this fitness going on. She was really mad about all the fitness that wasn't her fitness style going on right next to her. Instead of saying, hey, young man, you're dropping that bar. is very loud and disruptive. 
do you mind not doing that? She instead went to the next door app and complained <laughs> where a bunch of random strangers got really upset that some asshole trying to flex or like, you know, whatever people think that dudes who make a lot of noise are doing. And here's the best part. I don't live in this neighborhood, so I couldn't be on the next door app to A, see what was being said about me, or B, even defend myself, which is, I think, the shittiest part about it, is basically all these people were like, this machismo motherfucker or whatever. And I was like, dude, I was literally just doing cleans. And if it bothered you so much, instead of going to the internet, this is probably a good talking point, instead of going to the internet and complaining, you could just ask the person. I'm a pretty nice person. Would you agree? I'm a pr- an approachable person. Andy is intimidating me right now. He's, <laughs> he's coercing. Zach. He's coercing me. Zach, there's only one right answer, okay? Co- I feel like I'm being coerced <laughs> right now. Anyway, she complained and then people like of tore course. me a new one and I was of like, this is, this is unfair because had she just said something, had she just been like, hey, that's really loud. Do you mind not doing that? Yeah. I would have been like, sure. This is a community space. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be bothering you. Was but I thought this, we were fitnessing here, so like... Was it this, this, uh, this space that you used to work mm-hmm. at? Oh, okay. Yeah, on the same Are we allowed to say? Yeah, it was in McCabe. The McCabe Community Center. You know what happens in McCabe? Hmm. Not fitness. Oh. Still with my clients. I mean, my clients were fit. But I've, I've you know been, what doesn't happen in McCabe? Fitness. I've been a few times, and the only <laughs> fitness I ever saw going on was... Was you and me, so so you bring up we bring up an interesting point here, is that if you are offended or intimidated by guys or gals grunting in the gym, <clears throat> yeah, like some people are maybe doing it to be macho or to call attention to themselves or what have you, but I probably find that more often than not, it's usually just just people who are really getting after it and they're really dialed in and I'll be honest for me <laughs> um, I'm I'm not without gym gym jitters intimidation when I walk into even even gym five sometimes gym intimidation gym intimidation and I actually find that getting a little vocal helps to get me loose oh, helps to get me in the groove well and also sort of works your way into that that uh hierarchy right oh. well <laughs> i don't necessarily think that there has to be a hierarchy in the gym although maybe subconsciously there is but but yeah so i i definitely like to grunt yell i mean not not so the whole damn gym hears me well, but sure but more than anything else i like to kind of talk myself up I think, it, and it works. Yeah, let's go. That, it works. Let's go. You know, so I'll it, I'll clap sometimes. I'll, you know, I won't slap myself in the face, but you know, I'll, you know, slap the shoulders, slap the quads. Yeah, maybe slap your own glutes sometimes. So, all right. So this brings up another to get you to get you amped up, ready for the set. It's like okay, I'm not fooling around anymore. I am, I am doing the set, and you know, depending on the to, depending on the exercise, I'll give a little grunt. And especially for stuff like squats, I mean, you mentioned the analgesic effect of reducing pain, or maybe increasing pain tolerance. Um, you know, grunting or vocalization also is a 
uh, abdominal pressurization right. uh, tactic. You know, it's the same reason why, you know, traditionally uh, in karate, when you throw a punch, you you vocalize a hup or a ha or a, some sort of some sort of vocalization in tandem with the punch that helps to that helps to pressurize the uh, the, the abdomen. Right, so that also has great implication for for lifting weights, pressurizing the abs, engaging the core, and obviously, like in kind of my style of uh, you know kettlebell lifting, you hear the power breathing. I was going to ask you about that. With the swing, when you time that just right with the hip extension, it you can feel it. It's an instant boost. I don't necessarily feel like you should use it all the time but yeah when you when you can really time it and you know what you're doing and you can feel the difference it can really give you a good little boost okay here's the thing like it's again it's the gym if there is nowhere else that you're allowed to make this like noise the gym is the one place that you can so i've never really understood that like people get all weird about it and i'm like i didn't read on the door rule or the gym rules that you had to be quiet about your lifting you don't have to be like overly loud and slam plates and yell and scream you don't have to do all that but like if you want to let out some noise or if you want to drop a bar do it the gym is the place especially when you have bars that have bumper plates they are built for that i think that's what drives me bananas or what like drove me bananas about this time at the gym um, that people were talking mad shit. And I was like, they're built exactly for that. So it's not like I was abusing the weights in a way that wasn't supposed. They weren't supposed to be used or whatever. I was quite literally doing what they were designed for. And right. people get upset about it. So I'm sure this happens in like other arenas. Like people get mad when there's the motorcycle guys that we've had on the podcast. Not on purpose. They're just in the background. They've already passed, as far as I know, for the evening. Same thing. Surely, lots of people get really mad, but if you're in that community, you're like, well, it's part of the game. Right. So, it's hard to, like, judge, like, I guess your frame of reference, you have to, but anyway, if you're in fitness, let it out. Like, nobody cares. Yeah. Make, make noise. It's not a library. Yeah. Get in there and get after it. If you make some noise, who cares? Yeah. I think it'll help your performance. I think it'll help your focus. I agree. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's been my experience. I grunted today. <gasps> Did you? I did. How'd it feel? I needed everyone to know that that 75 on number 15 was tough. That's why I grunted. I didn't grunt because I needed to. I grunted because I needed everyone to watch me. As I apply my sarcasm face right now. All right, anyway. And then you tore your shirt off. No, because I'm self-conscious. So I didn't do that. <laughs> Andy's self-conscious. He, he knows his limits. I do. Not even. I do know my limits. You know what my limit is? Your, lim- your limit is 385. Sli- <laughs> <laughs> At 385 is where my bicep checks out of the chat. Sure enough. Well, now we know. <laughs> now we know. Okay. So. Agenda. What we were thinking about chatting uh, for chatting around the, the topic for today being uh, programs that we have done slash coaches that we have worked with. Mm-hmm. 
and and the influences that we take from them and the influences that we have taken from them and obviously like relaying our experiences and results from from those experiences so do you want to start no i want you to start okay <laughs> fair enough all right well let's see in terms of we'll just we'll maybe start with maybe start with uh coaches so i've hired uh, a bunch of coaches over the course of time most of them over the years now have been like online and and distance um but a few that i want to point out can i stop you for just a half second you yes you're currently stopping me i want to talk about like for half second talk about even though zach and i are qualified professionals there are a lot of things on our plate, namely running a business, writing programs for our clients. So sometimes we'll each hire out our own coaches to handle our own programming because it's one less thing that we have to worry about in our day-to-day lives. Just like all of our clients hire us to handle their programming, if we have a lot of stuff going on, sometimes it's nice to get a different set of eyes yeah. or different influence or different perspective. And handle like outsource our own programming, especially when you write programs all the time. Yep. Sometimes you kind of get stuck in a rut of a, maybe doing the same things or or getting bored, you know, with the training process. So um, even though we're coaches and we're qualified and we can very easily write our own programs, it's actually beneficial for us as coaches, as trainees, um, to go through the experience of being coached. I don't think that is a weird thing. Um, I think there, well, I think there are some trainers who would think, like, oh, like, what do you need a coach for? And I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. Yes. So, why coaches need coaches? Because coaches should understand, as much as anybody, the value of the coaching process and relationship that that goes beyond the numbers right. on the page. Right. So, if... If you are someone who, you know, is basically a robot, then yeah, all you need to do is open a book and execute. Sure. But that's not that's not what real coaching and training is all about. It's about it's it's some of that, but it's also about the human element of accountability, mm-hmm. the feedback, the mm-hmm. tailoring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's something really special. I mean, if I if I saw in a magazine, do a hundred push-ups on Tuesday. Okay, that's gonna go. I mean, that that doesn't mean anything. Right. But if a actual person who knows me and who I'm invested in and they're invested in me says do a hundred push-ups on Tuesday, it's gonna happen. Right. And it's gonna mean something. And that is the special sauce of coaching right and that's that's how we're built like human nature like we're we're always you know (laughs) you know we're either following orders or we're living up to other people's expectations and i'm not even saying that you know that maybe sounds bad like 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 when i say it but all but that's that's exactly what we're all doing out here right you know well, is, is we're interacting with other people and we're, we're formulating relationships and tribes that line up, that 
line up according to your values. I mean, you certainly have autonomy and what you value and that whole thing, but uh, but yeah, that's that's where that's where coaching really shines because otherwise, like I said, you could just read one book, read one fitness book, and just do it for the rest of your life. Right. But we're not robots. But well, in, in like our clients, what we're doing when we when you and I as coaches hire coaches is we're taking like guesswork out of the equation. I right. could, when I work with a coach, question their approach and say, well, why? And they would tell me. But that's not the point. The point is I've hired out. I'm becoming coachable. I'm, I've hired out a coach to answer those questions for me preemptively. I don't need it. I don't need to know the house. Maybe I do. Maybe I want to, and we can talk about it. But I don't necessarily need it. What I need is someone to tell me, hey, do the thing. And this is kind of how I would like you to do the thing. Hold me accountable, and so on and so forth. Like, yeah, I can write my own programs, but then maybe I'll guesswork it and be like, ah, maybe this other approach would be better, or maybe this combination will be different, or whatever. Instead, I'm just like, you know what? Whatever you think is best for me right now, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Right. All right. So you've hired coaches. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And also beyond that, if there is anybody else who's a colleague or in the industry who's curious, um, it would also behoove you to hire outside of your niche just to see how other people do it. I agree. You know? So I'll get to that maybe a little bit later. But um, my first real notable coach was Brad. Brad worked for Gray Cook of FMS fame, and Brad was the guy who showed me the ropes with the kettlebell. So he, what did he have me do? Okay, so this has been obviously a very long time ago, but I'll never forget, and this is one of the reasons why I have such an appreciation for Bottoms Up training and how how big of an impact it could make one of our first workouts was out on a soccer field and he had me bottoms up clean and walk a kettlebell down the field on one hand and back on the other Mm. and for anybody who's tried to do like bottoms up kettlebell if it's not perfectly balanced or if your grip gives out it just falls over Sure. Right, so I so I take like two steps and it falls. I take two steps and it falls. And I'm like, this is impossible. And he's like, you know, right now, it definitely is. <laughs> but what you're gonna do is you're gonna take your other hand and you're gonna support the bell and you're just gonna do it as best you can. Sure. Right. You're just gonna hold it up. And it, it was probably a 12 kilo bell. You know, maybe maybe 16. Um. And so my forearm is just burning, and I'm just like, this sucks. Like, I feel like an imbecile. But, again, he was very, you know, encouraging. And, and it's funny, I, I've always been, you know, really more or less the smallest guy in the room. Even when I'm in, like, <laughs> environments outside the gym. Okay? So... You've never seen me before. People out there on internet land. Six foot four. I am four foot six. (laughs) (laughs) 
actually split the difference between those two, and I think I think that's that's where I land. So I'm uh, I'm not the world's uh, biggest dude. So Brad, on the other hand, was just like hulking dude, and um, you know he he made me feel very much at ease and not at all less than. Which I think I think was huge. Yeah, that's great. I bring up the bottoms up thing because some months later, we did the workout again, and I smoked it. I aced it, bro. Yeah, yeah. it's um, almost like training. That's imagine that <laughs> training. So yeah, so he helped me train for and prepare uh, for the the RKC, which was my first big kettlebell certification, and um, at his encouragement. I became a personal trainer. Oh, it was you. it was during it was during our time working together that I even had the notion that this was something that I maybe could and wanted to do for a job. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, real strong guy. I mean, he's probably three years or so older than I am. Um, yeah, strong guy. Great great at kettlebells um, and yeah I mean he also showed me the ropes with a lot of you know other like general strength training you know concepts but our main focus you know was the uh, the kettlebell okay so that also brings up just kind of a tangential point um, again maybe for other folks out there who are in the industry before you shell out the cash to go to a certain workshop or a certain certification, why don't you get the experience straight from the horse's mouth from another certified instructor that can, that can immerse you in the process without having to like go do the full thing? So if you're really into like, well, I mean, kettlebells is an obvious example. Sure. Rather than trying to like, you know, train on your own, like for the Strong First or the RKC certification. Just hire a local professional. And um, yeah, why don't you just hire someone who's already been through it and be like, hey, show me all the ropes, dish all the secrets. And you can probably get all that done for a fraction of the price. Right. Now, if you actually want the letters after your name, well, then at least you can go unprepared or or what have you. I would love one. He's... I'm still working. Good. I'll get you another one. All right. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. You guys have stuff over there. You guys are live right now. Oh, yeah, man. Live. You're on world. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about the world, but (laughs) maybe four people. (laughs) Uh, he's great. What's his name? Todd. Todd. Yeah, Todd's great. Um, yeah, man. So, so I, I'm gonna maybe jump to another example, and then, and then I'll let, and then I'll, um, uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Well, can I just like slide in on that last point? Sure. Yeah. So, you and I've talked about this. You know this, and I've, I've written about this, and was published in the NSCA about this. But in terms of like um, coaching or being coached. Um, I'm a huge advocate if you're a strength coach 
and you're looking for more experience, and you, or you want more experience, you want to learn how to coach better, um, for volunteering with local high school groups. Um, in my own career, I've done this at five different schools, and I ended up writing this article about it. But it drives me bananas when people ask, like, you know, how do I get experience, or like, how do I learn how to coach this lift or this group of people or whatever and I'm like just go volunteer with your local high school strength coach they need the help and you're going to get someone who probably hopefully probably has a ton of experience and yeah I mean it's you know you're volunteering your time but you're not paying for a seminar right there you go, brother. thank you so much man um, and I think that's what, what always drove, drove me nuts about going to um, let's say NSCA events or, or strength and conditioning conferences is that I would go to these talks and halfway through, not even halfway, maybe a, a third of the way through the talk, I'd realize that the content of the, the talk that was being given doesn't apply to me. It's mm-hmm. not useful for me and the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. You know what is useful? Teaching a, a group of people how to manage a barbell and change plates or even even count the weight on the bar. Yeah, And right. so I'm a huge advocate. If you're, if you're a coach or a trainee or you thinking about coaching to go get experience with a local high school strength and conditioning coach because they're going to have a ton of experience you're going to work with a lot of different individuals you're going to work with strong kids not so strong kids athletic kids not so athletic kids and i think that translates best back into the weight room as far as like your own coaching or clients or whatever so Again, to sort of piggyback off what you were saying, if you're trying to gain experience, become a better coach, go volunteer with other coaches and see how they do things. Mm-hmm. And it's free. You don't have to pay. There's no hotel cost. There's no conference cost. You're not going to find yourself a third of the way into a talk on something interesting and then being like, oh, this really doesn't apply. Like speed training doesn't really apply to my mom and pop that can hang out with me at 9 a.m. on a Monday or whatever. like Speed training. Right. It's it tri- cool stuff. It trips me out how how many people are into speed training. Regardless, <laughs> you and I both know that you've been to conferences where you're like, this is cool information, don't get me wrong, but like, I can't use this Yeah. In with the people that I work with. Yeah. But high school strength and conditioning coaches work with, again, athletes and less less than stellar athletes that to, in my opinion reflect most of the people that the gin pop people that we work with right some of them are pretty athletic some of them less so how do you deliver a training experience and, and derive some sort of benefit with a group of people so anyway that yep. was the piggyback off yours yeah yeah that's a, that's a very important point and it, it go it that boils down to being creative with your resourcefulness you know there's there's so many opportunities out there and yeah I think again I don't want to I don't want to talk ill I, you know we were talking about in the last I was talking about in the last podcast how I think that the fitness industry and trainers are trending upwards and and I do still think that's the case in general uh, but yeah, I mean, speaking to that point, it's like, you know, nobody has an excuse these days of, of, you know, not, not having the necessary experience outside of a, um, an unwillingness to work for free. 
which I think is is, is, is another one of your points there. Um, so one of the things that I've always said is my first two, three years, I did more free sessions than I did paid sessions. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. So um, let that be another lesson that, I mean, on the one hand, invest in your own coach for experience and also invest like your own time into working for free and developing your chops. <clears throat> I was just thinking this. If let's say I'm in a hiring position, I, I own a gym and I need trainers to come work for me. I wouldn't hire anybody for free. If, if I couldn't afford it, but they really want to shadow and I could do that, then that'd be one thing. But like, um, what I would not do is consider hiring anybody who hasn't at least spent a year grinding it out because this is a this is a grind job not always but initially p.s andy might be looking for an intern here soon well maybe but like this i am is, all right so, as well so right. so this is like a grind <laughs> job and if you're not willing to grind then you're gonna you're you're not gonna survive this industry you're just not and right. so if you you're unwilling or unable to do the grind then i will see you in a different career because you're not going to stay in this one right um, anyway, so, and that's not me being like a crotchety old man. I just don't think that you're going to be able, like, you just can't cut it. Yeah. And I'm not saying you have to be a miserable son of a bitch and work like 5 a.m. every day, 9 p.m. every day. Like, you don't have to do that. But, like, you need to know what it takes to, like, make it work. Yeah. And then when you get to a good spot, you can start to craft your lifestyle anyway. All right, back to being coachable and being coached. Is it my turn? Yeah. Um, I'm going to compare and contrast three simultaneously because I don't know how else to do it. Um, the first coach that I ever hired was Joey, and I wanted to get lean. And so as far as online coaching is concerned, the, um, the program I, I really liked and also I was just coachable but I was I learned a lot from like the deliverable like how he delivered that program sure so like how he reached out like whether he texted or emailed made sure I did my check-ins made sure I did my workouts made sure I was doing all my you know measurements yada 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 as far as like how he delivered the program was a very valuable experience and also his organization I think that's one of those things like there's a lot to learn from being coached because you get sort of this tunnel vision about how you want to organize programs. And there's not like a one-size-fits-all. There's not a best way of doing things. And some people have different ways of doing things that are valuable to learn. So that was Joey. I'm going to juxtaposition that with Charles Staley. Charles Staley's programs were very much linear periodization. And I'm pretty certain, I, like, the most exercises I ever did in one workout was like four. <laughs> Here's the thing. I wanted to build my strength numbers, and it worked. So, you know, when I worked with Joey, the programs were a lot more dense in terms of, like, total work, total volume, whatever. When I worked with Charles, it was, like, three or four exercises in a workout. Mm -hmm. There were no supersets. There were no tri-sets. There were no drop sets. There, there was nothing cute or fancy about it. It literally was just put in the work. And when that comes from Charles Staley... 
that means something. And he's 65? Yeah, for and those he, of you who don't know, he's definitely a pillar of yeah, the strength. He is. He's a phenomenal author. Uh, industry. If you ever want to read phen- like great work, like Dan John and Charles Staley like, are phenomenal coaches and authors. Yeah. And so I hired Charles Staley. He was also somebody that I called and was talking about coaches being coached. I sent Charles Staley a message on Facebook or, or something, and I asked him a question. He was like, hey, let's jump on a phone call. Here's my number. And we literally talked on the phone for like an hour. This is before I hired him, too. Do you think we get Charles Staley on the podcast? We easily could get Charles Staley on the podcast. <laughs> Let's do it, man. He's such a nice man. And he's, again, like 60-something. He pulled, I think, 455 for 5 or 60 Woo! the other day. It might have been more. I've seen him pull over 400 for sets of 10 to 12. Deadlift. Deadlifted over 400 for sets of 10 to 12 as a 60-something-year-old. So he's a maniac. But he's very kind very straightforward no bullshit no frills and so again first coach was very dense a lot of different movements move faster accumulate a lot of volume intensity charles staley was very much squat heavy chin-ups dumbbell rdl leave so there so there's that and then there's that and then when i started co-programming with aaron and you and i have talked about this when she was on the podcast, mm-hmm. Aaron's my physical therapist, coaching friend. She and I would co-program what we called Jack and Tan was the program. It was like a four-month program. And wide and thick, there were certain elements that I would bring to the table as a coach that I wanted to focus on, like squats and bench and dead or whatever. And there were other things that she brought to the table as a physical therapist, but trainee. And so combined, our powers combined, our powers combined, we had a pretty robust and pretty balanced program of both strength, density, volume, you know, uh, variability, whatever you want to call it. So those are three different approaches. All of them worked. They were different, but they all worked. And they're all fun, and I enjoyed the process on all three of them. Mm-hmm. So there's no right or wrong way, but being coachable is the right way. And there's so much to learn there's still things that joey and i did that i use in my own programs there are still things that charles staley and i did that i use in my programs and there are things that aaron and i did that i use in my programs mm-hmm. so having that experience makes me a better coach and training yep yeah man absolutely yeah it trips me out when people will ask hey how do you like what do you do for online training like how does it work and I'm like, well, have you hired your own? No. So so you want to engage in a business practice that you have Never no experience with. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> just, uh, I mean, we're, we're sitting in a brewery here. Like, you're going to interview to be a bartender and you've never stepped foot into a bar? Right. You don't know what beer tastes like? Right. Like, what do you... What are you thinking, man? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, this is, all goes back into something that I say all the time, which is just being a practitioner of the craft mm-hmm. and, and pushing yourself into new territory. So yeah, man. So I hired uh, an online coach uh, pretty early on in my training career. So I started at Lifetime in 2012. 
Probably somewhere late 2013 or 2014, I hired an online coach. Just just basic power lifting, traditional strength training oriented stuff. A little bit of strongman in there. Um, I forget the guy's name, but he he actually trained at a gym, I believe, in Arizona. Or yeah, I'm pretty sure Arizona, where um, uh, Brett Contreras used to train. Mm. That's that, that's why I remember because they were like, they weren't they weren't training buddies, but I remember they were always like at the gym. You know, they're always uh, kind of like in each other's content. Sure. So Wait, who was that? Who who was the coach? Oh, I like I said, I don't I don't quite remember the guy's name. He wasn't like a big he wasn't a big name, right? Um, I think Joey actually worked with Brett Contreras for a while. Joey. My guy. That I spoke about 10 uh, seconds ago or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I don't think his name was Joey. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Could have been. Could have been. Um, so, yeah. So, like, this was, you know, a solid two or three, probably a solid two years before I started doing online training. And I knew that it was something that I was probably going to be doing in the future. So I was like, well, why don't I just see how it's being done? Sure. And and I did. And, and to this day, some of the ways that I do my deliverables were very much influenced by, um, by that coaching relationship. And, you know, some things that I was like, hmm, I can do this a lot better. And I did a lot better. Sure. You know, that's, that's kind of half of it, too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, other online uh, coaching experiences. So, <clears throat> you know, one, uh, probably probably around 2017, I suppose. 2017 or 2018. Um, I was super intrigued by uh, this uh, school of mobility training. It was very hot at the time. I guess it still is hot. You talking about is this FRC? It is. And he just stuck his tongue out. <laughs> and honestly, like, like, kind of what intrigued me was is that it was this, you know, it was kind of a the, the seeds of this particular style. I was very familiar with, like high intensity isometrics, power breathing, a lot of the stuff that. Honestly, I kind of already gotten from the kettlebell world. So it intrigued me a lot, but I didn't want to shell out what would have been a multi-thousand dollar investment when you talk about travel cost, you know, plane, hotel, um, and then obviously the actual investment in the um, course. In, in the course, multi-day thing. So I was like, well, why don't I just hire one of their top guys to like train me and that's that's, exactly what I did that's exactly what I did and I you know I got most of the juice out of a quarter of the squeeze if you will there you go I like that you know and um, I learned a lot and the most important thing is is Here's here's one kind of drawback with a lot of certifications, is you're there in a room, you're with a bunch of other coaches, and the client experience 
can kind of be lost in the whole in the whole conversation. A hundred percent. So so really, if you want to learn a new style or a new method, new exercise, new whatever, it would behoove you as a coach to experience it from the client side first. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. Like, I don't know who shows up to a, it's kind of pompous actually, to like show up to a certification and just, you know, like from ground zero, totally green, and just expecting to get the cert to certificate at the end of three days, like now you're the expert, but you haven't actually undergone the process. Right. Yeah, so that's what I did, and I got a lot out of it, and a lot of you know, things were cleared up, and um, I, I got a lot of great ideas, um, and my eyes were open to a totally new process of assessments and 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 programming, and it was it was very very valuable. Um, and I didn't necessarily have to do the certification afterwards unless I wanted like those letters after my name, you know? So, I mean, I think, I think that's another, again, just to harken back to what I, what I mentioned before, um, put, put yourself in the student role if you really wanna, if you really wanna learn something. And so like, that's something that's maybe more, I don't even wanna say like complex, but like, looking back to like you working with Charles Staley, literally a program that could be written on the back of a cocktail napkin. Yeah. And it was no less valuable because it gave you a reference point. Right. And it's not like you couldn't have come up with, I mean, nothing. It's not like you couldn't have come up with the workouts because they're, they're simple as hell. But again, just by having, having the reference points of, you know, this is something that is okay to do and to program for other people. I think that's maybe some of it too. I think that's why people gravitate towards the Charles Staley's, the Dan Johns, because they're like, or, or even the Pavels, because they're like, here are two exercises. Right. Here are four exercises. The beauty Just in, do these. Yeah, the beauty's in the simplicity. And come back in six months. I would argue that between um, it's in terms of like I won't say complexity but in terms of relative complexity the program I did with Joey the program I helped write with Aaron were far more complex than what I did with Charles Staley but I would not argue that um, Joey or the program I wrote with Aaron were any uh, more effective in terms of deriving an adaptation I've worked with Charles Staley the most simple programs I've ever done one of the most, I'd say simple, just because I say simple doesn't mean not challenging. Sure. They were simple in terms of execution. They were some of the hardest workouts I've ever did, like done. Mm-hmm. So um, just because a, excuse me, just because a program isn't complex or complicated doesn't mean it's not challenging or that it won't derive some sort of physiological benefit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that like we could talk about maybe on a separate podcast or right now, but like, I think 
Instagram and social media, social media in general, sort of rewards these like, um, the, you know, these ultra complex, like weird exercise moves or high intensity or this or that or whatever. You know, it gets a lot of likes and views or whatever. But some of the best programs I've ever done is in terms of like actually getting stronger or getting leaner or both were not complex. They weren't complicated. They were very straightforward, and or you know, if I had to use layman's terms, boring. They were boring programs. And that's kind of, like, that's sort of the nice thing about being a coach and being coachable and hiring a coach is I don't care how complex, how fun, you know, air quotes, fun they are. I just I just want to be coached, and I want the benefit of it. Yeah. If they're fun, you know, whatever. But, like, Charles Staley's programs were, I wouldn't call them fun. They were hard. It was hard work. Hard. And it was simple. It was like three well, to know, four exercises max. It's funny. I think there's a difference between like fun and entertaining. Like it's right. fun sometimes just doing the simple stuff. And it's fun working hard. You know what's fun is slapping more plates on a bar every week. You know what's fun? Results. Right. You know what's fun is getting the results that you hired a coach for. That's real fun. That's fun. It may not be, you may not have been entertained during the process. Sure. But, yeah, it's fun. So, speaking of boring, I also wanted to maybe throw out maybe some of the a la carte programs that we've had experiences with. Like 5x5? Five five? Like 5x5, five five, like 5 through one So, there's a variation of 5 through one called the Boring But Big Cycle. I don't know that one. I know the 5 through one but I don't know the variation of it. Yeah, he's got like two or three like it's... main approaches. <clears throat> so, let's go back to 5 through one so yep. Jim Windler is a strength coach who uh-huh. came out with a program called 531. And there is a, an aspect of this program that I do want to pull out because it's not unique to 531. Um, but 531 is a program that mm-hmm. has delivered great results for a lot of people for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about your derivative version? Well, not not mine. His. His. Well, so right, but like yeah. I've never done that. I've done five three one. I've never done the. Uh, so all all boring but big is is so like your five three one. You have it. It's a pretty set in stone periodization scheme. Right. But how you do the accessories, there's there's some room for interpretation. Sure. So boring but big is I believe I could be wrong, but I believe it's five sets of ten of either uh, I probably should have looked this up beforehand. I think it's like five sets of ten of a accessory lift or of the training lift itself just lighter. So if it was a squat day you do your five through one squats according to whatever week you're in will determine like the intensity and all that stuff but then your accessory would be like five sets of ten front squats. Or five sets of ten, just lighter, you know, back squats. So, for reference, <clears throat> the way five three one works is um, week one, you have three sets of five reps of an exercise. And Jim Windler is a, a strength coach, so deadlift, bench press, squat, overhead press. There's only four lifts. Of those four lifts, and each one is the main one for the day. Of those four lifts, in week one, you do three sets of five reps. The 
third set is five plus. It's an AMRAP set at a percentage of your theoretical max. Week two is three sets of three reps, same thing. Set one is three reps, set two is three reps, set three is three plus reps. And then like week three is three by one, one and one plus or something like that. And then I think you deload and then you rerun it, you run it again. So there's one main lift, it's sub-maximal weights with a third and only top set. Yep. So the first two are sub-max and like fairly, you'd probably argue easy, mm-hmm. with one all-out set. Yep. That's the part that I'd like to pull out because it's not unique mm. to 531. It's this idea of sub-maximal weights yep. and AMRAP sets that I've actually seen in a number of programs. Mm-hmm. So... Um, anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. Oh, I'm very impressed that you remembered the, the whole scheme there. I am too. Actually, I haven't done it in like five years. I was going to say, I, if I had thought about it for a little bit, I may have pulled that out. But yeah, so I got strong as hell doing that. I probably ran 5 through one back-to-back for, you know, probably at least three cycles, probably five. Well, you know, um, I should say this. The objective on those AMRAP sets is not to lift the heaviest weight one time, three times, or five times. The idea is to set what they call rep PRs, so rep personal records. Right. So most people think of PRs or personal records in terms of absolute load, absolute weight you can lift for one, two, or three times. Uh, 531 is different in that you're actually setting like rep PRs, like, I don't know, 8 plus, 10 plus, 15 plus, whatever that weight is. And so it's a different approach to moving heavier and heavier loads than people often think about. Yeah. Yeah, so it's funny. So that's that's a big thing that you pulled out of that program, which very much I, I appreciate as well. What I always remember about that program is how emphatic he was about the sub-maximal weight so he so he would you know there there's a calculator when you set up your intensity and you would set you would set your percentages according to your one rep max but then there was a mandatory 10 percent reduction yes i love that so he goes so take your take your one rm and take 90 percent of that yeah and that's, that's your, your one rm for the purposes of this math. Yeah. And so that's another thing that I always appreciated for a variety of reasons. I mean, number one being that you can't, is you know, powerlifting or even the general public, you can't trust your one rep max. It's at, fickle. As anything. <laughs> it's, it's fickle. Like, you can't, you can't trust it because it might be there one day, it may not be there another day. Like, your one rep max almost doesn't mean anything. I would say what means more is your like repeatable three to five. Like if you can do three sets of three, that kind of means more to me than your, you know, pie in the sky one rep max. Sure, I agree. Okay, I yeah. like that. And and even if you were like, ah, oh, but maybe I still have a little bit in the tank. Fine. Well, and that's sort of the point. I think that's one thing that I, I should I should pull more out of. I, I typically don't know how to stop short of failure on a lot of like especially like really heavy like like squats and deads. You know, I think when you when you tear a bicep, 
that's that's one good sign that you could that's very indicative of yeah you should stop short write that down okay if your bicep tears that's that's a good sign that you're getting close is it failure if your muscles tear (laughs) is it failure if your muscles tear but you locked it out (laughs) i locked it out i mean i stood up with it and then my bicep was like I think it counts. Okay. It I does think it counts. Count. All right. So technically it wasn't a failure, but the bicep did tear. So there's that. The bicep failed, but Andy himself as a lifter did not fail. What I will admit, my biggest um, fault as a trainee, not as a coach, because I'm very adamant about this. As a trainee, I do not like to leave a couple reps in the tank. I don't. I like to redline everything. And that's bad because it's hard to live there all the time. It beats me up. It fatigues me. My subsequent lifts later in the week are not as good as they possibly could be. And that's the that's the dance that you do with training. Today's workout is not about today. It really isn't. I mean, it feels like it is, but it's not. Today's right. workout's not about today. It's about how today fits in with this week and how this week fits in with this month and how this month fits in with this three or four, six month block. So leaving a couple in the tank is pretty critical in terms of doing that. That's the careful dance. What I like about 531 is it is a mandatory part of the program. Mm. They make you stop short of failure. Yep. Which is why 531 is a popular program and so many people have done so well on it. Yep. Mm. Okay, so there's something to glean from it. Right. You subject yourself to the process. It's one thing to read something in a book, but it's another thing to subject yourself to the process for three weeks, six weeks, 12 or 16 weeks. And I will admit, five three, at least the, the original 531, and I'm guessing the iteration that you were talking about earlier, is that they're not complex programs. I would probably argue that those workouts are three to five exercises deep, max. There's not, oh, yeah. There's yeah, not yeah, a yeah. ton to them. Yeah, I mean, each day you have your main lift, and I think you have, like, one, one kind of set-in-stone accessory and maybe one more optional accessory, right. which is always the ab wheel. <laughs> Same with Dan John. <laughs> Dan John likes it. I like the ab wheel. Anyway. I do, too. All right, so that's 531. What else have you done? Oh, let's see. Well, I mean, I've done... I mean, in terms of programs that stand out... Um, I did the uh, Juggernaut template for a while. I don't know that. One. Um, it was basically Chad Wesley Smith's first like big program. Um, and I don't quite remember exactly what that entailed, but it was it was again much like five through one, very very simple. Um simple progressive overload so I think it was like you know a week of 12 to 15 a week of 10 to 12 a week of 8 to 10 a week of 4 to 6 and then maybe like a week of like 3 by 3 or something like that sure Um, but I do remember there being it may not have gone that high in terms of reps again I don't really remember but I do remember there was like a 10s week an 8s week a 6 week it's yeah. very much like Charles Staley, actually. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, it worked. It was fun. Linear periodization. 
Yeah. And again, when you start off with 10 plus reps, you're by nature, especially when we're talking about big barbell lifts, by nature, you're self-limiting yourself. You're not going to be, you're not going to be using super duper heavy weights if you've got to do four sets of 10. Right. So, so by the very design of the program, you're starting off with weights that are quote unquote safe. Sure. What I like about linear, I didn't, and you and I can talk about five by five and juxtaposition it with what we're talking about right now. What I like about linear periodization, let's say a week of three by 12, week of three by 10, three by eight, three by six, you know, maybe move the needle in terms of like, if you want to use percentages, move the needle. Then do three by 10, three by eight, three by six, three by four, three by eight, three by six, three by four, three by two. That's a, that's a, that's a three month plan right there. Linear periodization, in other words, going from submaximal weights of like 10 to 15, eventually down to somewhere around two to five, mm-hmm. but taking your time to get there. Um, what I like about that approach and what I, and that's why I use that now a lot with my clients and my own training is that you're slowly and systematically adding weight in a way that doesn't, your body doesn't hate. Juxtaposition this with like five by five or even three by five when I did, so I don't remember what it was called, five, strong something five by five. Strong lift. Strong lift five by five. I, every five was a heavy five was like a five or six rep max five five sets of that when i was in my 20s didn't crush my soul but now i can't do that right and so the point what i'm trying to make is working my way down to heavy-ish weights over time was much more tolerable than living at fives for a month two months three months at a time so even though the weight on the bar went up hard to get there like it's just hard on my body so i'm actually more preferential to like a linear periodization model where we start with lighter loads maybe do an amrap set or a drop set or whatever and sort of cruise our way like casually cruise our way down to like a heavy-ish three to five but keep the volume low the intensity high and then back off of it again i think most people's bodies tend to um adapt to that sort of stimulus better than just like keeping it six or below all the time yeah man how do you boil a frog you don't you do <laughs> one degree at a time okay you th- you've never heard this analogy no oh andy also my friend sam has frogs so i'm like sensitive to boiling frogs i'm sorry Go- google <laughs> this google this you throw a frog in a pot of boiling water what does he do he jumps out. Mm. You throw a frog in. Why is he gonna be frog? Why can't he be a lobster? Because nope. lobster can't jump. I mean, they can slip their tail. Okay. Insert whatever animal you choose to boil. I don't want to boil any animals, but okay. Lobsters are the ones that we typically boil, so there. Apologies to PETA. <laughs> you throw a frog in boiling water, what does he do? He hops out. You throw a frog in some lukewarm water, he makes himself comfortable. 
you turn it up one degree. Then you turn it up another degree. Before you know it, you got frog legs. But that's the key. To do this one step at a time, and now you have dinner. I get the analogy, I just don't want to boil a frog. I get it, I don't blame you. Yeah. All right, man, let's uh, let's wrap it up from here before it gets too weird. <laughs> All right, so, well, quick recap. Sure. Um, if you're a coach or a trainee and you've never hired a coach, you best. You probably could get on that. I'm not gonna say you should. I don't, I don't want to shit on people. You could hire a coach and there's a lot to learn from that. Or if you're um, wanting to gain experience as a coach, holler at your local high school strength and conditioning coach so you get experience. So there's that. Um, to recap, um, there are a lot of ways to get jacked and tan and fit. And so explore different like varieties, different flavors, and how you want to do that. Um, and I think there's something to be said for submax weights, AMRAP sets, and leaving a couple in the tank. In other words, it doesn't have to be firing on all cylinders all the time and, and like in order to make significant progress. So it's something to keep in mind. I say that out loud so that I'll listen to it and do that too. So you don't tear your other bicep. Right. Anything you want to add? No, man. I think this is a good episode. Oh, we got our timing. I'm so good at this now. A to Z, no BS. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>